different. I want to share something. If you'll look up at the screen, Randall, I want to share this quote by Dwight D. Eisenhower. We're, we're doing a message today. We've been doing a series, series called More, More Love, More Joy, More Power. And today we're going to talk about more freedom. And I, I am excited and grateful for our military personnel. Are you not? They, they are responsible. Many have laid their lives down and their families have given up so much so that we can have the right and the privilege to do what we're doing here today without fear, without any fear, without any concern, without any sense of there will be a consequence for us gathering today. It is not like that everywhere. And it's so funny how we, because we've enjoyed these freedoms most of our lives, we don't have a sense of, of how amazing it is that we can do what we do today. And I just ask the Lord in just some way help us to have a moment of gratitude, God, to realize what's been paid, the lives that, that this has cost, to even allow us to do what we do today. So can we give the Lord praise and our military personnel? We're just grateful, those who've gone before us, to even allow us to do what we do. I, I'm just always amazed. Never, never take freedom for granted. I want to share this quote with you, and I want you to know something. There's something in the heart of every man, every woman, every child. There's something innate in us that says freedom is, is a right. It's something that we are wired for. It's something that we've been created for, and yet most or much of the world is not free today even. And so we're so blessed. But look what Dwight D. Eisenhower says. He says, freedom has its life in the hearts, the actions, the spirit of men. And so it must be daily earned and refreshed. Else, like a flower cut from its life-giving roots, it will wither and die. Can I get an amen on that? And so freedom is something that has that is, is been given to us. We, it's innate in us. There's been a high price paid for it nationally, whereby we celebrate it. But I want to say something, too. There is a spiritual freedom that has also had the highest price paid. And it is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on a cross where he laid down his life and he said these words, tetelestai. It's the Greek word literally means it is finished. It is sufficient. It is enough. And when Jesus said it, he wasn't just saying it, he meant it. And those words carry great weight and great gravity for us today. A number of years ago, my dad, we had this rickety old boat. I don't even know how we got it. It was when I was in high school. And it was like, it sat in the garage for like four years. And it was just full of dust and cats had been made their home in it. And it was just, it was a horrible thing. And I, I didn't even know if it was even float worthy. So my dad, I, he just had this wild idea that he, we we're going to get a boat and do boating. So we, we sat for years, and then one day he had this wild idea. He said, I'm going to fix this boat up. So we get out. He tears that motor apart, and, and we put it all back together. I'm helping him the best I can. He's running a hose through it, and he gets it actually cranking. It's amazing. It actually runs. He gets it moving, and, and Dad was real good with mechanical things. So we, we pull this boat on a hot afternoon out to White River Lake. Now, if anybody knows anything about West Texas, there's not a lot of lakes out in West Texas. And the ones that are out there are not pretty and blue. They're just brown. They're, they look kind of like the lake out by, out by uh, uh, Abilene Regional out here. 
on a windy day. So White River Lake's kind of like that, but it's a lake nonetheless. There's water. So we get out there. It's me, my dad, and my little brother, Jerry. This is another Jerry story. So <laughs> poor guy. So we're out there on the boat. We get it started. It's a little embarrassing, honestly, because it's a really old, dilapidated boat. But it was, anyway, we were out on the water. I was making sure none of my friends were out there in their super high-charged, cool power boats. But, I, I, but it was fun nonetheless. So we're out there in the water, and my brother had never skied before. I'd gone water skiing with friends and whatnot, so, so I was pretty versed in that. So it was all fun for me. So my brother is going to ski for the first time. Well, he's a little nervous about it. And I'm telling there's nothing to be afraid of. It's no big deal. You're just going to sit in the water like you're, sitting on a, like you're sitting on a bench and just keep your tips up. And when Dad puts power to the boat, just keep your tips up out of the water, and it'll pull you right up. You'll pop right up. And so he's sitting back there. He's kind of whining and complaining. Dad guns the boat, and the first time, I mean, it takes off, and, you know, I just see the, the rope gets tight for a second, and he's sort of just grinding in, and he's not getting up on top of the water. He lets go of the rope, and the rope comes right past my head, and I, I kind of get onto him, and we try it again. So if any of you ever learned how to ski, you know it's comical. It's crazy. So after about three times, he finally sort of gets up, but he's not real graceful. You know what I mean? He's just, anybody ever skied for the first time? You're just like a, you're like a brand new baby calf that's been born. You can't hardly stand up. Everything's awkward and weird and shaky. And he's kind of hunched over. I'm like, relax, stand up, relax, chill out. You know, I'm trying to get him to, and he, he falls. We get up to speed and then he falls. And when he falls, man, this stuff goes everywhere. Skis fly, the rope flies. And I look back, I'm laughing, and I look back, but, but something's gone wrong. What has happened is that his life vest, which was a little bit too big for him, it fit me, but he was my little brother, it had slid up over his head. And all I could see was the, was the life vest bobbing on top of the water and his hands sticking up through the top of it because when he fell, it slid up around him. And it literally was like a, like a straight jacket, caught his arms, and it was holding him down in the water, and all you could see was his hands. And at first, it was a little comical because all you see is his hands, and then I realized he was actually underwater. He was, he was just trying to survive. He was flailing. And, and it was really scary. And at that point, I'm yelling at Dad. He's turning the boat as fast as he can. You know, it takes a while to get back around. And, and you know, we get kind of close to him, and I dive off the boat. And I'm playing the hero, superhero. I dive off the boat, and I yank that thing off of him. And, I mean, the look on his face and the terror in his eyes, I'll never forget it. I mean, I'd beat the kid up a few times growing up. You know what I mean? I'm a big brother. But I'd never seen eyes. I'd never seen terror like that. He was afraid for his life. And as I pulled that off of it, I mean, just you know, I mean, gasping for air, choking on water. And it was a horrible trauma. It was a traumatic experience for him. It scared him. It scared me. But I've thought about that scene throughout the years as a pastor when I see Christians. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not just talking about people out in the world or people that have never trusted Jesus or people in other places. But when I see Christ followers who have fallen into sin or fallen into bondage, and I see them bound up almost like in a straitjacket. You know, churches are full of very good, very well-meaning people. I mean, people who love Jesus, 
who love God, who love his bride, the church, and yet still walk in tremendous bondage, still bound up, still locked into addictions. And the Bible even says in the scripture that as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to its folly. And you see people that have a semblance of freedom for a moment, and then they go right back to what held them in bondage. And I see that picture of my brother struggling in that life jacket. In fact, the life jacket was the very thing that's supposed to save his life and help him, and yet he was in bondage, unable to free himself. And he needed someone to come alongside him and pull that thing off. And there are people sitting here this morning. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about just the whole mentality and idea of what it means to be free. I was visiting with somebody this week, and they, we were talking about when people are, it's almost like they're trapped underwater. I remember my friend in, in junior high had a pool, and it was really cool because he had a pool. And so he was everybody's friend. So everybody went to Matt Derryberry's house, and so during the summer. So I remember going over there and, and being in junior high, you know, I had a mask and a snorkel. And I remember at night, it was really cool to go down underwater and just sort of hang down there and then look back up at the surface. And it was real glassy. It was real, the color and the, and the reflection of it was always fascinating to me, especially with the mask on. But I remember being down there and just being in a moment and looking up at the surface and, and realizing, having that little sober moment of, gosh, you could die down here. We can't breathe. This is a foreign environment to us. And yet then, you know, about time your, your air runs out, you push off the bottom and you break the surface, and then you breathe, and it's like, ah, ah, it's great. It's awesome. Well, I was talking to somebody this week, and they said, you know, they said they were in, a, in, a, in an accident one time, a little rafting moment, and got trapped under, under the water. And they could see the surface, but they were trapped and couldn't. Can you imagine being in that place? Being trapped underwater, seeing the surface, seeing and knowing that that's where life is and that's, that's where your next breath is, and yet not able to break the surface and get there. And they said just the feeling of when they finally got loose and were able to get to the surface, just the feeling of getting that breath back in their lungs and breathing again. That's what freedom is like. And there are a lot of Christians, again, I, I'm not talking about people who are just chasing sin and trying to be bad. I'm just saying people who love Jesus but find themselves going back to old patterns, find themselves living in a cycle of defeat. Again, not on purpose. These aren't bad people. These are good people who are bound up. And they find themselves trapped underwater looking at the surface, wondering what it would be like to get that next breath. And you may be here this morning, and you're like that. That's you, and you'd say, that describes me right now. Let me just say something real straight here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If a Christian is in bondage, it's not about we're going to beat you over the head. It's about how can we get help to you? And I want you to know something. The Lord has given us keys. The Lord has given us the ability to walk in freedom. Now, here's where my biggest concern is, and it is this. A lot of people that are good Christian people that love Jesus and love his church 
are bound up, but they do not believe that they can be free. They may say they can, they may think they can, but when it comes to it and you really get down to real life, they do not believe that they can actually live free. They're trapped under the surface looking up, wondering what it would be like to breathe that air. Well, I want you to know something today. You can be free. It is God's heart for you. It's God's. Jesus paid the highest price so you could live free. All right? I'm going to do something a little unorthodox if I can get it out of my mouth. Kathy, would you come up here, please? Would you all bless Kathy? This is Kathy Highsmith. Kind of an impromptu moment here. I, had, I did ask her right before we got started if she'd share a little bit of her testimony of living a life, loving Jesus, loving every, but yet caught in some bondage, and yet recently she broke the surface. So can you share a little bit of your testimony? Well, I just want you to know that, um, you know, I've been living a good life. I've been studying my Bible and doing all the good things that Christians do, and but I still, I could not live life the way I wanted to. I, I had a lot of, well, I call it the committee going on in my head, just a lot of talking and, you know, just old bondage, you know, going back to old memories, not being able to get over certain things, uh, a lot of um, even depression and oppression, just really not living a quality life, even though, you know, I call myself a Christian and I'm smiling at church and everything looks good. It really wasn't, but I didn't know how to get rid of it. And like Pastor Rich said, you know, during worship, you can get rid of some stuff. You know, it'll leave you. But there's some things, let me tell you, they stick. They stick, and they don't come off easily. And God, Jesus Christ, has a way. And, you know, in the Bible, he talks about that he cast out demons. Well, I'm like, excuse me, but I don't have demons, you know. And people think that Christians can be demon-possessed, but they can't. We've got the Spirit of God in us, but they can have demons, and I can testify to that. And I look pretty normal and nice, don't I? (laughs) You know? So what I'm saying is you can... I went through deliverance with Pastor Jimmy and Annette, and all I had to do was fill out a little questionnaire. You know, it really, folks, what it it really depends on is are you willing to go through a little bit of humility and really getting down and facing things that are in you and really wanting to get rid of them. Or if you want to hang on to them, then don't do it. But if you really want to get rid of the stuff that's been nagging you and bugging you and holding you back and keeping you from being the person you know God called you to be, then I highly recommend that you go through deliverance. You just fill out the questionnaire. You go in. It doesn't take long. And I'm, let me tell you something. When you get through, you're a different person. I mean, I have been so, I mean, I go around singing. I'm happy. I, I, you know, I skip around the house. I mean, I feel good, folks. I feel good. And, and I'm not going to keep talking too long, but I just want to say this. If the church doesn't get free, how are we going to get the people free that come in? And let me tell you, there's some people out there that have got some demons worse than we do. How many people know that? And if we don't get free, we're not going to be able to get them free, and we're not going to get this world changed. And I, I just want to say that in Jesus' name. Now, that's somebody that's free. That's somebody who broke the surface. And with years of things, and some things that were even even in their, in their ancestral line, I mean, just things that just happens because we're born. <laughs> into sin, the scripture says. And so I want to share a couple of things with you. Um, 
we started on Wednesday night with a question, and we had Wednesday night. It's kind of it's a smaller group, and it's kind of the core. And here's the question that I started with. Listen to this. Um, the the question is this: Do you want to be made well? I want to share with you out of uh, if you look at John chapter five verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there. This was a guy that for thirty eight years had been in a condition. 38 years is a long time to be in a condition. Can I get an amen? And he would lay at this pool with a whole bunch of people, and it was a pool of Bethesda, and what they would do is they would all lay there, and they would wait for the waters to stir. And the problem is is that they were just sitting there waiting, sitting there waiting 38 years with this issue. And no doubt there was a culture that developed around this pool where, hey, it's good to see you, Hal. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Bill, how you going? You think you'll make it to the water on time? This time, I don't know, I'm going to do my best. It just, a culture developed around this. That pool still exists today. We got to see it when we were in Israel a few years ago, and it actually is still there, and you can actually see all the ledges that are referred to, the five ledges around that pool, where they would sit and wait, and sit and wait, and sit and wait. And Jesus walked up in one moment and ask this question. Look what he says. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition, someone say that condition. Turn to your neighbor and say, that might be you. (laughs) That condition. We don't know what that condition is. Y'all be nice when you do that. That condition. (laughs) Get somebody in trouble there. So that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Well, it's kind of a duh question, isn't it? I mean, he's been there. We know he's been that way 38 years. We don't know how long he'd been hanging out at the pool, but he's, he's apparently wanting to be well, right? I mean, don't you assume that everybody wants to be well? Shouldn't we assume that everybody wants to be free? You would think so, wouldn't you? But I've lived long enough. I'm 49. I've been a Christian 31 years, and I've been in ministry around 27. And let me tell you something. I've learned not everybody wants to be free. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Here's the deal. One thing, if you've never been free and you don't know what freedom looks like, you may not want to go there. Another thing about freedom is that freedom means responsibility. You know the line from Spider-Man, with great power comes great. Help me out, somebody. Responsibility. I will say this. With, with freedom comes great responsibility. Because once you're free, you have a responsibility to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Once you're free, you must now be a disciple of Jesus in order to maintain freedom, grow in freedom, and help other people become free. Can I get an amen? Do you want to be made well? We started that service on Wednesday night with it. We ended with that question, and I'm saying it to you today. Do you want to be made well? Really? Now, I'm going to say something that will sound harsh, but I don't mean it to be harsh. This is not a judgment. This is an observation from somebody who's been doing this a long time. A lot of people do not want to be free because there's a responsibility that comes with freedom. But what they do want is relief from their circumstance right now. Have you ever known anyone who was given a 10-day prescription and the doctor told them very explicitly, take all of these? 
And they go home, and about five days into it, they start getting some relief. So they think, well, this is working, so I don't need to take the rest. Has anyone ever done that besides me? So you stop taking it, and what happens? You get slammed. You, get, you just get a relapse on this thing because you didn't follow the directions. There were specific directions, explicit directions, so that you could take the whole course of that antibiotic and you could be rid of that thing and you could get on down the line. But instead, when you got a little bit of relief, when I got a little bit of relief, I thought, oh, this is working, no need to continue. And so I stopped and then relapsed. Anyone else here faced a relapse? Oh, yeah. So the question is, do you want to be well? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be free? Here's another issue. I brought this up during prayer. And again, there's no condemnation in this, but I've got to say what I see. Is that a lot of people think they can't be free. Because what's happened is, is when you've had an issue for so long, 38 years for this individual, you grow accustomed to it. You learn to manage it instead of actually deal with it. So we navigate, we manage. It's like having stumps in a field that it's easier to just plow around them than it actually is to go out in the field with the proper equipment and get those roots up, get those stumps up by the root and get rid of them. So we'll, over years, we'll just begin to plow around, plow around, plow around. And the enemy's so smart, he'll throw more stumps out there. And by the time you've been doing this for 38 years, there's 30 stumps in the field that you're plowing around all the time. And your rows, if you're a farmer, you know this. And your rows are just all messed up and all over. And, and your farming doesn't work properly. It's not maximized because you don't have straight rows because there are stumps in the field. So the question is, do we want to do what it takes to get the stumps out so that we can walk in freedom and we can be maximized? Because here's the deal. And again, I say this in love. Bound people bind people. But free people, free people, free people have the capacity to free others. All right, Luke 4.18. Luke, I love Luke. The Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus speaking. He's reading out of the scroll in the temple of Isaiah, uh, in the temple, but it was the scroll of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That word means empowered, smeared upon, anointed, to preach the gospel to the poor. The word gospel is good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This is Jesus' job description, to proclaim liberty. The word liberty means freedom. Someone say freedom. Someone say freedom like they mean it. Uh, say it again. It's good. Somebody say it again. I need to hear it again. Okay. All right. All right. I just need to hear it to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty. It means to set free those who are oppressed. That was what Jesus said I came to do. So that's his job description. That's his mandate to the world. He came to set those in bondage free. Someone say freedom. 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 All right. First John 4, 17. Now, this is a description about who we're to be. It says this, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness 
in the day of judgment because, look at this phrase, because as he is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is in the world, so are we to be in this world. In other words, we're supposed to look something like him. Amen? Are we not supposed to have some semblance of there goes Jesus. Hey, you kind of look like him. Hey, you kind of act like him. Hey, you kind of talk like him. So as he is, so are we in this world. I want to keep moving. If we're to be like him, we're also to do what he did. And the book of John tells us even greater works. Acts 10.38, yet another job description of Jesus. This is Peter speaking at Cornelius' house to the Gentiles, not the Jews. He was actually speaking to us. This is our Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is the Jewish Pentecost. Acts chapter 10 is our moment where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon we who are Gentiles for the first time. This is our Pentecost. He's describing and preaching Jesus, and he says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. This is what he did. This is Jesus' normal day. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is what Jesus did. We're supposed to be in the world like him as he is, so are we in this world. Would it not stand a reason that this too is our job description? This is our mandate. Can I get an amen? Or a week, oh my, or something. This is, what we're, this is our job description. Going about doing good, anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I was challenged with this verse a number of months ago. When a layperson who's not a minister, not a pastor, and yet I was seeing tremendous fruit out of their life. And I sat down with them one night and I said, okay, talk to me. Because here's this layperson who, who's in the business world and yet is producing fruit, making disciples, seeing people set free on a regular basis. So I sat down with him. I said, tell me, what are you doing? He said, Acts 10, 38. He said, it's our job description. And, he, and I said, well, quote it for me because I couldn't remember it. And he quoted it for me, I mean, without hesitation. And I went up to our room and I told Annette, I, I was rocked. My world was rocked because this guy who is not a minister, not a pastor, a businessman, but was bearing fruit because he understood the power of this verse in his life. And he began to walk it out without fear, without shame, without anything. In fact, the man is a multi-millionaire. And he does not care what anybody thinks about him because love trumps fear. And he's walked it out and he, he just he reignited something in me where I begin to realize we've got to take this to the next level. Galatians chapter 5, we're talking about freedom today, and I want to show you this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, I'm going to read several verses out of this. says this, and, and this was in the midst of a heresy actually called Gnosticism, where everything was about knowing, it was about knowledge, it was about mental assent, it was about how you get to God through mental thinking. And then there was a group that were trying to take them back to Judaism and say, it's okay to be a Christian, but you still have to observe everything about the law. You still have to herb and, and for the men, they were still telling them, even though you're a Christian, even though you're a Christ follower, you still have to be circumcised. 
And the men were going, whoa, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way. Hallelujah. So he says this, stand fast, therefore, in the freedom. Someone say freedom. In the liberty, the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage he's referring to is going back to the law, going back to the old way of life. Let me tell you something. That scripture it says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly. I've watched Christians through the years and have done it myself, where there's a semblance of freedom, grabbing hold of the ring and saying, I, I, I want this. I want to break the surface. I want to breathe clean air. And you get a touch of it, a semblance of it, instead of taking the whole prescription, walking out discipleship and a life of discipleship. What happens is, is you end up getting pulled back into what he calls a yoke of bondage. It's a type and shadow. It's bondage. It's life bondage. It's habits. It's sin patterns and besetting sins that pull you back, that entangle you. It's like getting caught in a lake. If you've ever been caught in seaweed, just caught in, in, in all that growth and, and that moss, it just wraps you up and it holds you there. Go to verse 7 there. He says this, you ran well. He said, you were doing good. And he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, if bondage is about, about a lie because it's the opposite of the truth, then truth is about freedom. And we know in John chapter 8, it says this, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. And so we know that, that, that lies bind us. They put us in bondage. But truth frees us. And the Bible says this, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. I don't know about you, but I want to know the truth. Now, the word know there is the word nosco, which literally means you know the truth by experiencing the truth. It's not head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. So you ran well. Who hindered you? Verse 8, look what it says. This persuasion does not come from him, from God, from the one who called you. Okay, and then look at the, the last verse there, verse 13. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to freedom. I want to say that to you today. You've been called to freedom. If you're a man here today and you're hooked on pornography, I want you to know something. You've been called to freedom. You've been called to freedom. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to slam a Bible over your head. I just want you to know you can be free. If you're a woman here and you're hooked on food and that's become your addiction of choice, I want you to know something. You can be free. You were called to freedom. If you're a teenager, you're having premarital sex, I want you to know something. You can be free. You can walk in freedom. If you're hooked on prescription meds, oxycodone, hydrocodone, I want you to know something. You can be free. You were called to freedom. If you live in a mentality and a spirit of lawlessness, whereby you're constantly breaking the law, I mean, everything around you is a rule to be broken. I want you to know something. You were called to freedom. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus came not to just make us feel good, 
He didn't die on a cross just to make us comfortable. He didn't give up his life just so that we could be okay, just so we could manage the stumps in the field. He came to remove those stumps by the roots. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And he wants you to be free, and he wants you to know you can be. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, called to freedom. Only don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Love is always the key. Love trumps fear. Can I get an amen? Philippians 2, 8 through 10, I want to show you this. And being found in appearance as a man. This is Jesus, and the the act here is called the perusia, and it literally means the emptying out. He poured himself out. He emptied himself from his deity, not, not seeking it as something to hang on to. He literally willingly let go of who he was so he could come to this earth and be born into the flesh just like us and become like us. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, this is Jesus, he humbled himself. Now look at the key here. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross I want you to know something. All roads lead back to the cross. And every step away from the cross you take, you'll find ten people validating every step away. You'll find ten Christians validating every step away. He humbled himself, became obedient. All roads lead to the cross. He gave his life for our freedom. What does it say to God? when we refuse to be free. And I want you to know something. This is not a message of condemnation. If you're feeling condemnation, don't confuse condemnation and conviction. Because I would hear a message like this back when I was bound up, and it would just feel like, ah, feel like bricks are being poured on top of me. And yet in my heart, I knew it was right. I'm like, yes, I know. It's right. It's right. It's the truth. All right, next scripture, verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name. I want our worship team to come forward. We're going to do something a little different here today. God has exalted him and given him the name. Someone say the name. The name, which is above every name. Someone say the name. There is a name above every name. Come on, somebody. There's power in this name. Verse verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee? You mean mean that one-third of heaven that was cast down that are called demons, by the way? It's a Bible word, so don't get all freaked out when we say stuff like this. It's funny, in our, in our postmodern culture, we want to rename things. We don't want to call a demon a demon. We want to call it an issue. We don't want to call sin sin. We want to call it a problem. I have a little problem. So we, we, it says this, at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee, someone say every knee, should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. In other words, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Lord, Master. And I'm telling you, at the name of Jesus, every spirit, every demon in hell has to bow. 
and every demon that is attacking you, that is attached to you. Uh, Kathy said it right. The demonic cannot possess your soul, but our, our, your spirit, but our souls are like Velcro, and we pick up stuff. It's called a stronghold. And I want you to know something. You can be free. Jesus died for your freedom. And just as the military is paying the highest price so that we can even meet here today and do what we do without fear of retribution, so too has Jesus paid his life, given his blood on a cross so you could be free and actually breathe the air above the water because some of you have been underwater for too long. In fact, you're almost growing gills. You've gotten so used to it. But how many know it's about time to start breathing some air? It's time to get above the surface, get our head above the surface so that we can actually see with clarity again. If you've ever been underwater, everything's distorted. But when you come up above the surface, everything's clear again, detailed, high definition. And that is how you are called to live. We are more than conquerors through him. But I'm telling you, we've got to start embracing the truth that we can be free and that there is a truth that sets us free. And this morning, I don't have time to unpack all of that because there's too much. But let me tell you, you know what you need to know, and that is this. You can be free. It is possible. I want everybody to look at me just for a moment. I wish I had laser eyes. I'd just shoot all of you like, shh, I'd get this to you. I don't know how to do this to make this work, but other than ask the Holy Spirit to give revelation today. But I want you to know you can be free. You can be free. You can be free. You do not have to live underwater another day. You can be free. You can be free. You can absolutely breathe clean air again. And when, and when what happens, free people, they get excited in worship. They get, a little, they, they get a little shout going on. Sammy, give me a shout. Come on. They get a little shout in their belly. It's just stuff comes up and comes out. And, and, and you find yourself walking through Walmart. Happy? You know you're free then. Come on, somebody. That's how I know I'm free. I know I'm free. I don't even care where I park my car anymore in Walmart. I run into it, bang it with a bass. I don't even care anymore. It's just a car. I'm free. It doesn't matter. I mean, just stuff, little stuff changes. It's not just the big stuff. It's all those little things that that come together and run together that, that just annoy you on a constant basis. Stumps you're navigating. Stumps you're navigating. It's not always the big stuff. It's so many of the little things that God begins to take care of when you're free. Here's another thing about freedom. Everybody look at me for a sec. When you're free, life begins to come into order and make sense. Some of us have lived, and we're like a five-year-old doing a connect the dots with 300 dots. Remember the connect the dots? But we've skipped a few. We're all messed up. In the, in the, we can't even tell what it is anymore. Is that a pirate ship? Is that a rabbit? What is that? We don't even know anymore. It's just so convoluted, messed up. And it's like when we get free, it's like all of a sudden everything comes into definition again. You go, oh, I see exactly what I can discern what that is. I know exactly what that is. Your discernment meter just goes off the charts. Everybody look at me. There's no judgment in what I'm saying today. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because I, for years, have watched Christians return back to the vomit. I know it sounds horrible. It's very vivid, but the Bible's vivid. I've watched them go back 
And if you've ever had a dog do that, you're just like, no. You're just trying to catch them. You see them going for it. It's like, no. And then you're a little bit late, and then they want to kiss you. You know what I mean? They want to lick you. I'm just saying, hey, I have a dog too. Sparky gets no sugar after for a long time, like three days after that. But the truth, I mean, we're like that. Are we not like that? I hate that. I hate that. I don't want anything to do with that. Keep me. And here we go. And then we get to church and Sammy's trying to stir you up. Pastor Rich is exhorting you. You just, you're just, there's nothing. You just bound. Do you want to be free? Do you even think it's possible that the stuff this book talks about is for life? It's not just for when we die and go over to Beulah land. It's for here and for now. It's for you. I've asked.